1: fun topic on this project.
0: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.
3: Welcome to Tangible Remnants. I'm Nikita Reed, and this is my show, where I explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I'm excited that you're here, so let's get into it. Welcome back. This week's episode was recorded from the expo floor of the AIA convention in San Francisco this past June. I got the opportunity to interview the incredibly knowledgeable and insightful John William Templeton. Gable Media had worked with RCAT so that we could set up a podcasting space at the RCAT booth on the Expo floor of the convention, and thanks to some serendipitous connections, I was able to meet John at the NOMA reception, and he agreed to join me on the podcast. There are lots of links in the show notes to various resources that we discussed, but I'm just so grateful that it all worked out. And so before we jump into the episode, I wanted to share a conference tidbit about Expo passes that I learned at the convention. So John was already part of the convention because he was leading a few tours, but he wasn't registered for the main lectures or the expo. And knowing that I needed to get him onto the expo floor to be able to record the episode, I contacted one of my friends who works for the AIA to find out how we could get John on the expo floor without having to pay hundreds of dollars. And that's where I learned about the expo pass, and I wanted to share the details with you. At the AIA convention, and likely other industry conventions, there are typically free one-day expo passes, or at least reduced-price expo passes, where you can register to walk the expo floor. Now, while these passes typically won't get you access to any of the seminars for continuing education credits, it will give you the opportunity to network with various conference attendees, get some really cool swag from exhibitors and learn more about the various products that are trending in the industry by being able to access the expo floor. And listen, I know that conferences are expensive, and I am very privileged to be able to get speaker discounts and to work for a company that reimburses conference expenses. And with conference season starting back up this fall, I wanted to make sure to share that tip with you in case you're looking for lower-cost ways to engage with some of the industry events. This fall, I'll be speaking at Greenbuild in Washington, D.C., also at NOMA in Portland, and doing a quick layover in Seattle for the APT conference and a ZNCC happy hour. I'd love to connect with you if you'll be at any of these conferences or events, so please do say hello if you see me there. Okay, so back to this week's episode. You'll hear more about how I got connected with John in the episode, so for now, let me give you a snippet of his bio. John William Templeton is the founder of the Journal of Black Innovation and National Black Business Month. For 50 years, he has been a trusted authority on African American history as the first journalist to write about Black History Month in 1976 and the author of more than 50 reference books, including his trilogy on the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. He was the first African American editor of a business newspaper. He's the founder of the Journal of Black Innovation, National Black Business Month, and creator of Our Ten Plan, the African-American economic strategy. I am super grateful I got the chance to meet and chat with John. His work is prolific and super inspiring. One last thing before we get into the episode. This week's spotlight is on the Queen Calafia mural in the California Capitol that John mentions in the episode. Check out the show notes to learn more and follow the podcast on Instagram to see an image of the mural. All right, that's all the overview I have for you for this week. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between me and John William Templeton from the expo floor of the 2023 AIA convention. All right, so I am podcasting from the RCAP booth on the expo floor of architecture, or no, of the American Institute of Architects, A23 conference. Big shout out and thank you to Gable Media for making this happen and for RCAP for hosting us here. Um, it's been a great conference so far, and it's been fun to be able to show podcasting uh, visibly to so many architects in the profession. Usually when I'm podcasting, I am in a room by myself talking to someone over a computer virtually. And so being able to have people walking by, observing as podcasting, seeing what it's all about and demystifying it a little bit has been really fun. Uh, the conference so far has been amazing, somewhat overwhelming. The expo floor is massive this year. And then the sessions are great. The keynotes have been awesome. So far, one of my favorite takeaways from the conference has been actually one of the sessions I went to this morning which was the COAT Top 10 or just the COAT Forum actually and so being able to really learn more about the ways that architecture and sustainability and justice and DEI and all that is interlapping has been interesting and being able to have the conversations with other architects who are in the same space has been soul affirming actually. And so, I'm excited for all the new connections that I have made this week. One of them being the person who I get to have a great conversation with, Mr. John Templeton. Hello, how are you? Thank
2: you for joining the show. I'm doing well.
3: Awesome. And so, the story on how I met John is one of my colleagues, Sandra Little. She went on a tour that you gave on Tuesday, which was amazing. And she was like, Nikita, you have to meet this man. You need to have him on the podcast. You need to have the conversation. And so then... We met at the NOMA reception last night, and the stars aligned, and I'm very grateful that you're here. Thank you. And so, why don't we start with one of the things that I was most intrigued by. So, you are a reporter-ish. Let me not even make assumptions. Tell me more about the work that you're doing and how you would define yourself.
2: I try not to, uh, (laughs) because what I've learned over my professional career is that you You really don't get to choose what you have to do on a a given day. So in the course of any given day, I might be an investment banker, (laughs) a historian, economist, a business journalist, a manager, a construction foreman. So when people ask me, what do you do? I say, what do you need done?
3: (laughs) I love it. And so then what got you into putting the tour together for the conference? Well, in
2: 1991, Mm -hmm. I was working as a journalist Mm -hmm. for the San Jose Mercury News, and I was assigned to look at the history of police brutality after the Rodney King beat. Okay. And while I was there, I found out that the San Fernando Valley was originally owned by black millionaires. Oh, who had been the last two Mexican governors of Alta, California. So that was pretty stunning to me. Wow. And I came back to San Francisco and found out that the whole state was named for a black woman. So there
3: say more about that.
2: I won't. Okay. (laughs) And so then I got the rights to the art. Okay. And wound up doing a 400-page, full-color book on the history of African Americans in California up to 1900. Okay. From 1500 to 1900. So then I did the volume two from 1900 to 1950. And then volume three from 1950 up to about 2000. And then volume four Mm -hmm. is a lesson plan called the Black Queen, how African-Americans put California on the map. Nice. So in the course of doing the work, Mm -hmm. we realized that you can't describe this history to somebody verbally or even in writing. So in 1992, we started doing tours. Because the history is so unbelievable mm-hmm. that people have to see it for themselves. Right. And so we've been doing the California African American Freedom Trail tour for the last 30 years uh, and throughout the state. And we've mapped 6,000 sites. It was peer reviewed for the American uh, Historical Association in 2017. Wow. It's been endorsed by the State Historical Resources Commission. And it's the most extensive historical record of any state in the country.
3: Oh, my gosh. This is why I'm very glad to meet you. This is amazing. Yeah. And we, we will make sure to put links to that in the show notes for yeah. listeners who want to learn more. Yes. My goodness. And so then, and as you've been doing the research and documenting the sites, getting the tours together, what have been some of your favorite finds or things that you've learned about?
2: Well, once again, I don't like to tell people about it in advance <laughs> because... Um, the the sociological issue
1: mm-hmm.
2: is that this history is visible mm-hmm. and it's in prominent places. Mm-hmm. But nobody sees it. Right. So the mural of Queen Calafia, who's the black queen California's name for, it, is in the state capital in the senate budget committee hearing room, room 405 oh, wow. in the state capitol. And every year when the budget is being introduced, the TV cameras from all over the state are looking at hearings in this room. Wow. And so every year people are looking at this mural, mm-hmm. you know, for months at a time and nobody notices that there's this big mural of a black woman behind it. Right. So the, 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 the sociological study has been, well, how is it that people can't see history that's right in front of their faces? Right. And, and so that's why we wind up doing the, the fourth volume, because we realized that in order to actually teach African-American history, you actually have to unlearn what people think they already know absolutely and so that's why i don't often just tell people and stuff because it's like well they think they, they can't even absorb it right because it's just completely 180 degrees different right. from everything they believe
3: yeah but it's great that you're out here doing advocacy to help people know about it because you don't know what you don't know. That's and right. so being able to access it, even for someone from, you know, I'm from Maryland. This is only really yeah. my second time in San Francisco. Yes. And so I would have no idea about any of this yes. if I hadn't met you and if my colleague hadn't gone on the tour. So I'm yeah. so grateful that you're doing that work. Okay. That, that's amazing. And so I know you have the books and the volumes. Yeah. Is there also websites or any sort of online
2: information? Well, californiablackhistory.com okay. has the books and our books are how we fund the trail, books and the tours. We also do a seven-day seven, seven day statewide tour. Oh. Where we start either start in L.A. or San Francisco and do a circle around the state because we have sites in all 58 counties. Okay. And so that's also, also sort of revolutionary because we have very stereotypical views about what black history is right so we don't think about black folks in the logging camps mm-hmm. near the oregon border or as farm workers in the imperial valley Coachella. that was the site of an all-black town oh i did not know that I, very few people know that <laughs> <laughs> Uh Los Angeles, the original founders of LA. Uh-huh. Twenty-six out of the forty-four were black. Oh wow. Sixty percent of the original founders of San Diego were black.
3: That's astonishing.
2: Yeah. So and all this information is readily available. There you go. I just but nobody knows it. Right. So so we've actually been Pretty careful stewards mm-hmm. of it because we want to make sure that people get the information in a way that allows them to advance and to process it. right because what it does is it threatens their foundation of reality yeah because California I was having a discussion with my intellectual property lawyer this morning. Mm -hmm. And he says, if you type in beautiful woman, you're going to get young, thin, white women. Right. And so I did that. And sure enough, I got 12 young, thin, white women. Mm -hmm. So, but in the 1500s, black women were the icons for wealth and beauty. And so there's a whole genre of literature that's through the medieval period Mm -hmm. that traces from the voyage to Mecca. So one of the hats I wear is that I'm the the one to do a or the history advisor to the Songhai people. So I was appointed by the direct descendant of Askia Muhammad. So Songhai was two and a half times the size of the United States. And Askia Muhammad was, Mansa Musa Mm -hmm. was the richest man in recorded history. So his net worth was $400 billion in current times. So Mm -hmm. 80% of today's African Americans are descended from Songhai. Got you. And so we have a dynasty that is as long as the Windsors Absolutely. In England. But more importantly, Africans occupied Europe mm-hmm. from seven ten to fourteen ninety. Wow, that's taking so, like no way back. So that's seven hundred and eighty years. Yeah. So if oh. you if you compare that to the period since Columbus, that's two hundred and fifty years longer.
1: That's so true. so
2: our perspective can't just start in the 1600s, right. but to understand African-American history and understand California history, mm-hmm. you got to look back into that period. Yeah. And so the, the origin of Queen California, is the voyage of Mans, Mansa Musa to, to when he was named wise ruler Arkhalifa, khalifa and he had a guard of, of women warriors. And so that image of black women warriors mm-hmm. associated with gold and wealth dominated the world for the next couple hundred years. Wow. And so, so the, the narrative of La Serge d'Esplande in mm-hmm. 1510 comes from that real life history. Mm-hmm. So when you come to California, mm-hmm. the dominant architecture is called what? Mean. It's like Spanish style typically. Moorish. Moorish.
3: Oh, actually, that's a good point.
2: Moorish, yes. And so you have all these little cute clues in history. Right. But you don't really understand. You don't understand what's going on.
1: Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA Continuing Education Services Provider. Upon completion, we handle everything. From reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcasts where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjini. And I'm Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional
3: school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously, they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of, like, dresses or whatever else. While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just
1: going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. I know that was me in school, yep. just taking it day by day. Yes. But not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell Women Architects.
3: Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. Women who've molded the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century.
1: From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform.
3: Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives. And that's so fascinating. And I love that you're talking about history more expansive because the way history books teach it, it seems like it's the Egyptians did something. The Incans did something. And then it was the Renaissance. Nothing else happened in between.
2: (laughs) Well, if you compare, there's a website that does basically longitudinal population around the world. Oh, interesting. Right. And so in the 1400s, the most populous place on earth was what we now call Mexico. Okay. So the Aztecs were probably the most advanced civilization. Mm-hmm. On the planet, right? Right. So then, your other population center is West Africa, okay. right? And you have population center in India, mm-hmm. and you have the Ming Dynasty in China. So, if you were looking from space and doing a comparison of the relative strength of civilizations, mm-hmm. you would probably put. All, all four of those, plus the uh, Angkor Wat in Cambodia, just on the, you know, just looking at the size of the buildings yeah. and that sort of thing, you would put all those civilizations ahead of Western Europe. Gotcha. And so, 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 so we never have a, a true global view, right? Absolutely. What was going on all over the world because we. Condensed everything into one particular right. language. Right. Right. So, for instance, we only look at Black history in the United States through English. Mm-hmm. But most of the United States was not under English rule. So, the first encounters were usually by people who spoke Spanish mm-hmm. and French and Dutch. So, all the records are typically in those languages. And so, you yeah, know, we were just in we American Beach mm-hmm. in Florida for Memorial Day. So the first known Africans to land in what's now the United States came to Florida hmm. in 1508. Okay. So that's, that's 120 years before yeah. Jamestown. Hey, okay. The whole Atlantic coast was named Tierra de Esteban Gomez. Hmm. You know who Esteban Gomez is? I do not. Okay, he was the first, you know, sailor from Europe to reach what's now the United States. Columbus never got to the United States. He did not. Okay. <laughs> he absolutely Esteban did Esteban Gomez came and explored the entire Atlantic coast. Oh, wow. And so, as was the custom, they named the area after him. So the whole Atlantic seaboard in the 1500s was named for a black sailor.
3: This is why we talk. I am I'm am unlearning and learning so much right now. Yeah.
2: I'm so grateful for this. So, so last night I was there with the architect who was one of the designers of the African Burial Ground. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the African Burial Ground in New York City, right. the first thing it shows you, the first panel, is how Esteban Gomez was the first to reach the, the, the mouth of the Hudson Bay. Wow. So New York City was so-called discovered right. by a black sailor, right? How? And then the first person to, to live there, who was non-indigenous, mm-hmm. was Juan Rodriguez, who was also black. So this is completely different. But this is, this is what's in the National Park Service, right, right there, right. in New York City. So just like California, right. the information is where it's supposed to be it's just it's not people don't yeah don't get
3: it not common knowledge and not understood and that's one of the things that I love about doing these podcasts doing these conversations is being being able to help a lot of that history be more visible Mm -hmm. like you're doing because even so when I started the podcast it was because I was hearing some people thinking that well black people and women of color or black people women and people of color just haven't contributed really to the field of architecture but it's like hold on we have so many existing buildings that prove that otherwise. We've always been here. The myth of white supremacy makes it seem like only straight white men have done anything of value in the country. And so being able to use architecture, history, preservation as a tool to help help people unlearn and learn new things and how it works is one of the things why I'm super excited to be doing. And so meeting you and learning more about your work, which I'm going to be diving
2: into, is thrilling. Well, you yeah, know, keep this in mind, because... Shanghai and the Congo, which is the other region that we were imported from, were so advanced. I mean, the Congo empire had a population of 10 million. It was a very advanced nation state. We were brought here for our skills in building in metallurgy and in architect, in agriculture. Mm-hmm. So every Urban area east of the Mississippi prior to 1920, mm-hmm. the buildings were built largely by a black labor force. Absolutely. Most universities, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 and this was really before the, the profession right. of architecture really started after the Civil War. So, so historic buildings. You know, particularly, you know, for instance, I did my family history. Mm-hmm. My family has been in Iredale County, North Carolina mm-hmm. since 1750. Oh, wow. And we've continuously been free and property owners since the 1790 census. That's amazing. And, and somebody in my family has continuously been in business in Iredell County since the 1820 census. Gotcha. So I didn't know that until I actually went back and you know, I right. just I just assumed we'd been in slavery, right? right? But when I thought about it, I said, Well, you know, yeah, you know, both my grandfathers had like eighty acre farms and everything. Oh, and wow. They they didn't they didn't act like people who had been in slavery, gotcha. right? I mean white people were deferential to them. Right. Right? Okay. And so when I actually did the history, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense to me, right? right. So in my book, Grandpa Jack's Secret. Mm-hmm. So my grand, great-grandfathers, about four generations of them, were the heads of the largest moonshining operation in Western North Carolina. <laughs> and they kept the secret for like 100 years. <laughs> so I didn't even know about it. Wow. until I was 40 years old. <laughs> and that's why I call it Grandpa Jack's Secrets. So my brother said, did you know uh, Grandpa Jack was a bootlegger? I said, Grandpa Jack, the Presbyterian Elder? He said, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <Yeah. laughs> the Secrets of the Elders. Oh yeah. They're
3: probably so many. They're probably also very grateful that YouTube and the various technology socials that exist now didn't exist back then. I know,
2: I know, I, know, I, know, I know. <laughs>
1: This
3: is amazing. All right, well, as we are wrapping up a little bit, so I guess one of the things that I would also love to pick your brain about. So I know that you are multi-passionate, you're doing a lot of things. For students who are interested in learning more about any of the mini hats that you wear, what are, what's just some advice you'd give for students who are looking to learn more about history or things like that?
2: Well, we have an instructional network called Reunion. Okay. And we do four hours a day of instructional programming where we use the Secretary of Interior standards to actually present history. And we've been doing it for 30 years. We've never had a complaint. We've never had anybody try to ban us because by using the Secretary of Interior standards, by using public records, by avoiding interpretation... Mm -hmm. What we're doing is showing students how to find their own history. That's amazing. And so we basically are inviting students to do the same thing I did. Okay. But not wait until they're 40 years old. Fair. To do it. (laughs) That's fair. So this year our project is to have all 8 million African American students to trace their ancestors back to the 1870 census. Interesting. Yeah.
3: And so then does the reunion, I assume it teaches the students how to do that, what the tools yes. are? Okay. yeah. And then is that a program mainly for California students or no, is it nationwide? Is, uh,
2: nationwide, okay. and we're actually moving into the international realm as well this, this year because there are 80 countries that have a black majority. Oh. Wow. Yes. And all those countries have educational programming, a lot of it in English. So increasingly, you are going to be using that programming to, you know, uh, teach American students about the world, you know, yeah, around them. Yeah,
3: which is them. so needed, because one of the things that always bugged me, so, okay, I grew up in Northern Virginia, went to a high school in Fairfax County, mm-hmm. but it was still one of those things where, like... The what history books teach black students about black history is pitiful, and so it's always needing to learn more on our own through families, through other other means of learning about the history of black students, black people in general.
2: Yeah, the irony of these bans on black history was well, they weren't teaching it (laughs) anyway. What are you banning?
3: (laughs) Exactly. That watered down oh we just came here as slaves and that's it. okay you know yeah. you know and
2: at some level it's like well we don't need that stuff anyway right. <laughs> right
3: and so it's great to know that there are other resources available and that you're also doing it in a framework of using the secretary of the interior standards because that's also trying to get more black people and people of color into the field of preservation to even know what the secretary of the interior standards are and how to do the research how to Find more information.
2: It's a well, part, of, part of what we talk about in our lesson plan is that it really goes beyond Black history. It's Absolutely. like, how do you know what's true? Right. Yeah. And, and, and we don't tell students mm-hmm. how to figure out what's true. Okay. And so in the United States, the National Park Service determines what our history is. So well, gets recorded, all of that. So so when you go to national parks and you look at the interpretation of the National Park Service does, it's almost 180 degrees different from what folks get taught Absolutely. either in schools or in movies. hmm So it's almost like Right. You know, so so you don't have to be particularly revolutionary, or anything like that. All you gotta do is <laughs> right. Look at the documentation. That's there. Yeah. The resources. The yeah.
3: records. But that's why the public. And that's how are there. you
2: avoid debate, because it's like, well, right. This is the Joint uh, Reconstruction Committee. They exactly. got a volume on every state, so there's no debate about what happened. Right. Exactly. They got a whole volume that describes everything that happened. Everybody came testified, Robert E. Lee testified, Jefferson Davis testified, so you got everybody right there. Right, It's like it's not my interpretation, but I said, here, here's the documentation of what they said. Yeah, And you can, you can come to your own conclusion about, yes. you know if you know, either the United States banned slavery in the Thirteenth <laughs> Amendment or they did. not Right. There yeah. you go. I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's in that? right. that's, that's, that's the
3: Constitution. But you, now you know where to find the information. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So then, all right, well, as we are wrapping up here from the expo floor of the American Institute of Architects, A23, John, where can people find you to learn more information?
2: Well, my site is blackmoney.com, but I'm also the founder of Journal of Black Innovation, National Black Business Month. So during August are doing 31 Ways 31 Days, and we have a program every night at 7 o'clock. This Mm -hmm. year, we're going to have African heads of state and cabinet ministers, some of the top African-American financiers. And we're also announcing the uh, Sergeant Johnson National Museum of African-American Art in in, uh, San Francisco, which would be basically the West Coast counterpart to the uh, Museum on the Mall.
3: That's amazing. Well, I'm so grateful for all the work you're doing and for spending some time with me today on the floor. And for all the listeners, I hope you learned as much as I did, because this was mind-blowing and And I'm so excited that you're doing what you're doing.
1: Okay. Thank you
3: Thank Uh, you so much for listening. Links to amazing resources can be found in the episode's show notes. Special thanks to Sarah Gilberg for allowing me to use snippets of her song, Fireflies, from her debut album, Other People's Secrets, which, by the way, is available wherever music is sold. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. And now that Tangible Remnants is part of the Gable Media Network, you can listen and subscribe to all network partner content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Until next time. Remember that historic preservation is a present conversation with our past about our future. We don't inherit the earth from our parents, but we borrow it from our children. So let's make sure we're telling our inclusive history.
1: I saw the first fireflies of summer, and right then I thought of you, oh
3: I could see us catching them and setting them free, honey that's what you do, that's what you do to me.